even downright buddy, buddy, buddy. Wish I missed the past, buddy, buddy, but there's still buddy cats. No, don't be naughty, go meet everybody here on buddy cats. It's another episode of BuddyCast, talking to his guest on here alone. And you know, John, I think it's going to be a fun, fun time. I do too. It's going to be good. Yes. For all my buddies out there, this is my new buddy, John Mahon. How you doing today, buddy? I'm great, Nick. I'm very good today. Thank you. Thank you for stopping by the show. You're a legend in my eyes, so I'm excited to chat with you. Thanks. It's, it's yes. really fun to do this. Can you hear me okay? I'm trying out a different mic. Perfect. Today. Okay. You sound perfect to me. Got a little blue snowball here. Yes. Is, uh, yeah. Yes. So I got to start out by asking, how did you get into drumming and percussion in the first place? Um, My uh, father was uh, a policeman in Canton, Ohio, right? Not too far from where you are. Just and, a couple um, weeks. Yeah. And, um, on, on every Saturday they had a boys club, right. And, mm-hmm. and, um, he would drag us down there every Saturday just to get us out of his hair. Cause there was, we had four boys and two girls in my family. So, uh, he took the three of us older boy, the oldest of the three, I was probably about 11 or 12, I think. And, uh, took us down there one day, we'd do everything. We'd play basketball. We'd box, you know, they had all, they had a wood shop, you know, just we'd watch movies. They'd play horror movies on Saturday afternoons and stuff. It was fun. And, um, and one day he took us down there and said, we're going to, they're starting a drum and bugle corps. So Mm. we went down there and basically we went in this room and they had a bunch of horns like trumpets and flugel horns and, and drums, brand new drums all lined up on these tables. And, and, uh, and the guy said, you know, who was ever in charge, this guy, Babe Stern, he said, what do you want to do? You want to play the trumpet or do you want to play the drums? And I went, well, I don't, I don't want to play the trumpet. So not sticking that thing in my mouth. Come on. So, uh, yeah, I decided then I wanted to play the drums. And from that, actually, from that moment, I'll show you, I still have my drum pad. So Ooh. that that day they took us down into the wood shop. Wait, stay here. Take it then. They took us down into the... Uh, they took us down into the wood shop and they said you had to make a practice pad. And I still have my, wait, how do I do this? I still no, have it's my, confusing. It's confusing. my practice pad that I made in the wood shop and the boys club. Right. Yeah. And, and of course I've had it for a long time. So I, over the years I psychedelic it up, you know, cause yeah, you know, <laughs> I burned, awesome. burned my name in there with the wood burner and this, this, I mean, it was the sixties, man, you know, yeah. it was like, the late 60s when I did this. So, right, exactly. You got your peace sign, you know, yeah. so, psychedelic stuff. I was into a little, I was, I was a little budding artist back then. I should have kept it up. But anyways, that's how we got started. And we started a drum and bugle corps, you know, and I played the marching drum. And, um, you know, and from there I joined, you know, the school band and then high school uh, band and choir. I was in the choir uh, and uh, I was in the senior play, you know, I sang the lead or the, the co the semi, I guess the second part in the play. Um, I just stayed in the academic part until, you know, until I didn't, I didn't really go to college. I took, I did, I started studying privately and just playing in bands after that. So that's kind of the beginning of how I got, you know, kicked into music. 
Nice. Beautiful story. Now, as a big Elton fan, I got to ask, how did you get involved in the Elton John band? Well, uh, in a nutshell, I mean, it's a long story. It goes, you know, I, I, I mean, I moved to L.A. in 1983 and I was 28. Right. I just picked, I was played in every possible band I could play with in Ohio, you know, as far as types of music, jazz bands, pop bands show bands you know i did everything and then another my teacher moved to la and he kept calling me and saying hey man you should come out here um you know this is a good place for you so um i had just got married and and we said let's just pack up and drive to la and that's exactly what i did so i didn't just come to la and get an elton john's band you know i came to (laughs) la and did all kinds of work uh you know, a lot of gigs of all different types of gigs and mostly as a drummer, right? Most of the time I was playing drums, even though I always played a little bit of percussion, I, I never really got into it that much and always as, and a lot of singing too. Um, but after I was here, it wasn't until around 1996, 97 that I got called uh, by the musical director to do some recording sessions because uh, to back up a little bit, when I came to town, I met some guys and we put an original band together, writing music and playing, and trying to get a record deal called the stick men. And that band had, we hired this guy, Bob Birch to be the bass player that I had met who's from Detroit. And we got him to be the bass player in the band. Um, and him and I became really great friends. So uh, it turns out he got the gig with Elton about, I want to say, in uh in the early 90s 93 maybe something like that he got the gig with elton because he also was playing in a band that the musical director got to know him and heard him play and said wow we need a bass player blah 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 so when the time came for them to look for someone like me i was doing a lot of recording work with bob and and um davy had heard some recordings that i did and called me up and said hey why don't you come over and and sing these two songs for us. Then after I did that, I didn't really hear from him for a couple of months. And then one day he just called and said, um, you know, we're, we're looking for a guy like you that can sing, play percussion, uh, play drums if he has to, and play electronic things like sampling and, you know, and special sounds and sound effects and stuff like that. So, uh, cause Elton's music was getting a little more modern and, you know, they were experimenting with sounds a little more anyways. I just fit the bill and I went over an audition for him and it was a real simple audition. And, uh, he had one job for me to do in Germany somewhere, Aschaffenburg. We had one show and, uh, it was pretty incredible. I mean, I, I worked my butt off learning all the material as much as I could. Cause I was still playing in another band at the time. So, every you know i'm flying on an airplane to a gig with the other band and i'm got the all the elton john music out and i didn't want to tell anybody that i was going to be doing this gig because i didn't want to stir the you know i didn't want to rock the boat Mm -hmm. because you know i just had one gig i didn't really know what was going to happen from that um but it it worked out great i went the we rehearsed in the south of france in nice we rehearsed for four days and that was the first time i met elton i hadn't even met him uh but by the uh, when Davey asked me to be in the band and audition me, I didn't even meet Elton because he was in Europe or in London, and, 
and Davey said, you know, we'll go over there and you'll do this one show. And if Elton likes you, we'll see what happens from there. So um, Elton came over and introduced himself at rehearsal and he was really nice. And we, uh, you know, we had a great time and I'm still here. That was 1997. So uh, it's been a long run, been a mm. long, great run. But you're still standing. I'm still standing. Exactly. It's amazing. Yep. So what, what's it like working with Elton, by the way? Like, what's it like? Is he, what was it, what was it like when you, you said you first met him, he liked you, mm-hmm. and he obviously likes you today. So, I mean, you know, Elton is a, um, he's a real professional. It's like, you know, there's, there's always a line you draw between guys that uh, being a professional musician takes a lot of sacrifices because it's not, it's not something you just go, Hey, I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to, I'm going to be a professional musician. It's um, if you don't really love it. And I tell a lot of people this, you know, if you don't, if you don't have the passion for it and the perseverance for being um, rejected you know, and the passion for, you know, getting in your car and driving two hours for a gig that somebody's going to pay you $20 for, you know, uh, if you don't have the passion to stick in it for stuff like that, or maybe playing in a band where you don't like the music or, or, uh, you know, maybe the, maybe the musicianship isn't what you thought it was going to be. You know, there's a lot of things you have to put up with. And I'll tell you, probably the biggest thing you have to put up with is there's not really any money in the music business unless you become a huge star. Um, Or, you know, you can get lucky like me and land a great gig that I, you know, that I make good money. And, and, and there's, there's, you know, there's plenty of jobs, recording work, and there's plenty of, there's orchestras, you know, orchestral work pays really well, but man, those gigs are hard to get. The competition for those gigs is really rough. So, going back to what you asked me, what's it work? What's it like working with Elton? He is, he's the ultimate pro, you know, when he walks on that stage, he kind of turns into this different person, which it took me a while to figure that out. You know, he's not, when he's off stage, he's joking and fun and fooling around. Um, I mean, he definitely, you know, don't get me wrong. He likes to have his way, you know, I mean, he's the boss. And when he, when he wants something and needs something, he lets you know, but he, you know, he jokes around and he's great and a lot of fun. But as soon as we get on stage, it's all business. It's all, you know, you know, we start exactly on time, if not early, right? He's all, he's all about being early, this guy. I've never seen anyone be so early to the point where if you're not, it's a game to try to beat him to be earlier than, you know, if he says we're going to start rehearsing at one o'clock, he's usually there at 1230. Mm-hmm. And if you get there at a quarter to one thinking, Oh, I'm early. He's already there. And he's gone. You're fucking late. You know? <laughs> so, but, and, and also on stage, it's all about um, with him. It's all about doing the greatest job he can do, no matter how sick he might be that day or exhausted, or he's saying rocket man, uh, at least, three to 5,000 times in his life. You know, I've done that song almost 2000 times. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's me, man. I can imagine how many times he's sang your song. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and he gives it his all every time. And that's, you know, that's kind of the difference between the profession, the guy that considers himself a professional musician and the person that's maybe just kind of doing it as a hobby or, um, or maybe wants to, you know, wants to be a professional musician at it. Um, being a professional musician doesn't always mean that you're making a lot of money and getting paid. It's, it's not so much the word it's the attitude, you know, it's, it's, you have to have this attitude, like I'm going to do the best that I can and be the best that I can. Um, because you're sort of there to entertain people (laughs) and no one wants to be, you know, entertained with crap. People want, you know, if people are going to go out of their way to come and see you, then you got to go out of your way to do the best that you can. So Mm. I always go back to, you know, you have to have a lot of passion. You have to have a lot of perseverance because there's going to be plenty of people that are saying to you, are going to tell you along the way, you're not good enough. You know, I don't like that song. Uh, We're looking for somebody different. I, I can tell you all the things that I've heard in the, what, 40 years that I've been a, a professional musician, you know. Um, and, you know, the other thing I tell people is you practice. <laughs> you got to practice a lot. You've got to be really not just, uh, you know, you can't just be passionate about something and you can't just be, uh, be ready, you know, to keep driving away at it, to persevere, but you also have to be good at what you're doing. And that's where the practice is in you know, you got to practice your instrument, or if you're a singer, or if you're a songwriter, uh, you have to really work at it. And the, and the guys that I know that are, the guys that I know that are um, really amazing musicians, or amazing artists, man, none of them are slouches, you know, they're the kind of people that just go the extra mile all the time. You know, when, when the average person is saying, yeah, I've had enough, or, these are the people that are just go, go, go and practice, 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 man. That crazy little saying of practice makes perfect. There's no bullshit there. It that's, you know, that's a real deal. You know, I mean, look at, look at certain athletes, like, uh, like I was watching the uh, Tiger Woods documentary and um, this guy practiced like a crazy person. I mean, you know, he would play, you know, two rounds of golf, you know, and then he would go to the driving range and hit a thousand balls. I mean, it's crazy. And it's like, uh, well, you know, all those guys, you know, like you hear about basketball players, like Michael Jordan and stuff would shoot for a free throws before the game. And then after the game, he's back in there doing it again. Right. Um, You know, that's what I'm saying. Practice, man. How many, how many hours do you put into practice personally? Well, interesting um when i was really trying to you know learn um i i got into a couple years where it's funny because i played in this band with a guy and he'd already graduated from college and he came back to canton ohio where i was still there studying privately and um actually i don't think i was i was studying but i wasn't studying i wasn't I'm not sure the guy I was studying with was not really a drummer. You know, he wasn't really a professional drummer. Um, and uh, he was more like a, he played in like marching band kind of stuff. Right. So uh, anyways, this, this guy met comes back from college. We start having these kind of jam sessions and playing songs and stuff and just 
playing around and he just turned to everyone in the band and he went, you guys suck. <laughs> he said, he goes, you guys can't play. He's like, well, you know, you guys should be taking lessons and you should be learning this. And you should, and he got on the piano player's case and he got on, you know, he got on my case and he, he goes, man, you got to go, you know, study with someone that's, you know, been to a real school like Berkeley or something. And, and uh, I'm like, wow, man, that was harsh, but he was right. You know, so I, I, you know, I eventually went up to Cleveland and, uh, and found this great jazz drummer, this guy named Bill Severance. And, and, uh, and I started to study with him because he'd been through the Berkeley School of Music, the drumming school, um, drumming department. And, um, and I studied with him for a couple of years. And, but I practiced between six and eight hours every day, at least five days a week for about four years. I just never let up on it. And, you know, and it was kind of back to that buddy of mine who said, man, if you don't practice, you know, if you don't put in four hours a day practicing at this level, you're not going to get anywhere. And I believed him. So I just started practicing like a crazy person. And um, I mean, now do I practice that much? No, I don't practice that much now. I mean, I'm always trying to do different things now. Like, you know, I'm trying to learn some more guitar and, uh, uh, once in a while I'll go over to the drum set and, uh, you know, and, and, and fool around with something that I don't know how to play, you know, try to teach myself something new or, or, or I'll play the mallets and, you know, and try to keep my chops up a little bit. Um, now it's, you get so busy that, uh, it's more like just keeping your, your chops, you know, keeping your chops alive as opposed to learning new stuff all the time. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your bandmates now. How close are you guys exactly? Like, how would you describe them? Well, we all live pretty close. I mean, it's it's weird. We all live like, uh, uh, let's see, Davey lives just a couple miles from me, Nigel a couple miles. Uh, Nigel's the drummer, right? Davey's the guitar player. Uh, Kim Bullard, um, the keyboard player, he, yeah, he lives, you know, five or six miles away we all live in the san fernando valley right of which is part of los angeles um and the bass player matt bissonette he lives down in orange county near anaheim near the anaheim baseball stadium mm-hmm. um, he lives down that way um i just saw i mean i talked to davy every every week probably you know him and i are working on this charity uh event we're gonna do um on um February 27th uh, for this uh, uh, foster home here in Los Angeles called Hillsides. February 27th, we're going to, Davey and I are playing a song with Nancy Wilson from Heart Ooh. at the event. Um, yeah, I will, I'll, I'll get you the information. You can, you know, you can pop it up there. Um, I'll definitely promote it. Um, um, so I, I talked to Davey a lot. I haven't seen, actually seen Nigel. I talked to him on the phone yesterday. It was his birthday or the day before. And I Ooh. talked to him every now and then. And then Kim and I, Kim and Matt and I did a recording session for this guy named Rob Alexander, who he's, um, he's an interesting guy. He's, he sounds just like Elton when he sings. So that's kind of how we met him. He, um, it, it, he doesn't try. He just sounds like him. It's the, I've never heard anybody like this. He doesn't sound like the young Elton. He sounds like the, the now Elton. Right. Um, and he's, and he writes interesting tunes and he gets us to uh, play on his record. So uh, 
we just all did a recording session here recently um, over in North Hollywood. And, uh, you know, because of the whole COVID thing, we had to kind of stagger it out. So I, they didn't want a whole bunch of people in the studio at the same time. So we all, you know, took our time and, you know, one guy went in, another guy stayed outside and kind of sucked, but, you know, <laughs> but we still got to make music. So. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you're anxious to get back on the road with those guys, anxious to be touring with them again, or is it kind of the opposite? Is it like you're enjoying your time while you have it, you know? It's a little bit of both. I mean, um, uh, I, I act, I spoke to Elton actually about, Oh, I think two weeks ago now he FaceTimed me, which is kind of funny and he's never done before. Uh, he was just sitting there at his kitchen table. He's, you know, he's, he's raring to get out there and play. I think we are all, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because we're on the road 200 days a year or something like that. I've been on the road 200 days a year for the last 20 years, just about. That's a lot of traveling. So, um, it's, it's a nice blessing to have some time off, you know, and just be home and get my studio working and, you know, and do some different projects. And, um, if, you know, man, if we didn't have the COVID thing, I would be taking a lot more advantage. I'd be traveling and, you mm-hmm. know, just, you know, buzzing off to see my family and other places and stuff like that. But, you know, we're sort of locked in here, which is, which has its advantages. So I'm doing a lot of writing and recording. Um, but yes, I mean, we're, we are players, you know, everybody alive, we're live musicians, man. And we want to get out there and, you know, and play our instruments and, you know, there's nothing like, you know, playing for a big live audience. There's just, it's just the greatest feeling. And you, you know, you can be, you can be, you know, show up some night and just be completely exhausted and, you know, and fried from travel and, uh, and just go, Oh man, you know, I don't feel like doing this tonight, but as soon as you get out of the stage, it's just, you know, you always wonder how some of these performers can be so sick. I mean, physically sick. Like I've seen Elton seriously ill where he shouldn't even go on stage, but he just gets out there. And the same with all of us. I mean, I've, I've been quite, you know, all of us have been quite sick to the point where you got to run off stage and, you know, barf in a bucket or something and, and then just come back and go, okay, I got this, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's that, it's that thing. And, uh, about playing for people, man, because they, they give back the same, you give them the energy, they give it back, you know, yes. and, and there's something, I don't know, something kind of healing about that. Right. It's, uh, especially when it's, it's interesting. Uh, people always ask me, do you get nervous playing for those big crowds? Like, you know, we played for massive crowds. And um, I mean, so at one time, I think we played in in front of the Colosseum in Rome, and it was supposedly 250,000 people out there in the street. And that didn't make me nervous one bit. But when I play in a little place and there's somebody I know, like, you know, like another drummer friend of mine or something or someone in the family, or, you know, I look down there and, and I, yeah, right. Exactly. I look down there and see him and I'm, then I'm nervous or worse. If it's like one of my peers, like, you know, like, like if it's like, if it's some musician that I really respect, like I'll give you a great example. We were playing and we were playing in, uh, um, 
in uh, in Italy in um in Milan in Italy right mm-hmm. and um and Sting came to the show that night Sting and his wife Trudy and and I met Sting once or twice he's great and I'm a huge Sting fan I I love the Police I love his solo stuff um. So he doesn't want to sit down front in the audience. He wants to sit up on the side of the stage. You know, the audience can't see him, but he's off stage. And he sits like about 10 feet away from me. And, 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 it's, and I'm on the edge of the stage right there. So the entire night he's just sitting there looking at, you know, I'm, talk about nervous, man. You know, it's like those kind of people, those kind of people will make you nervous, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... But for, you know, but, you know, audiences for the most part, yeah, you get out there and, you, you know, you get the, the blood starts gone and you get, you know, you get little butterflies maybe now and then, but it, it doesn't so much matter, uh, uh, you know, how many people are in the audience. It matters who's in the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you were describing that feeling like there's just a certain element there that's, you know, when you get on stage that you feel. Tell us more about that feeling, like for you personally. Well, some, you know, like I said, some days, uh, some, some days it's just, when you do it as much as, as we do it, it's just kind of like, it's just natural. You know, you just, uh, that's why you can kind of lose some of the nervousness a little bit and just, and just think about playing. Because if you start, um, if you start getting too caught up in, oh, there's Sting sitting right there, then you're going to screw up something because your, your mind's not you're not thinking about the music you're thinking about you know is he looking at me you know whatever mm-hmm. uh, you know and the same as it you know even if your friends are there you have to keep a certain focus and that i i don't know what you call that that's the same you know you see that with with great performers where it doesn't matter who you know their ass is on the line sometimes when they do these you know well, if you go see someone in concert, obviously, and it's a, it's a really, you know, great performer or a difficult piece to do, and you see these people just nail it, you go, you know, they they must have nerves of steel, you know, to sit there and, um, I've gone to concerts with Elton, and I know that the artist on stage knows that Elton is sitting in the audience. Now that has got to make you pretty darn nervous, thinking that you know I'm going to sing this song and he's sitting out there listening to me, uh. But, you know, when you get, that's why you got to practice all the time, man. You know, it's like, that's why you got to, it doesn't matter what you do. I'm not saying as a musician, I mean, kind of saying this, like, no matter what, what you do with anything that you do, you know, uh, like just, you know, what you're doing. I mean, obviously you've had to figure out a lot of stuff and it's, it's practice, it's study, it's research, it's all those, all those things fall into the word of practice, you know, being, <laughs> being, being good at what you do and, and enjoying, enjoying the process of learning about it. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter if, if you're a, you know, if you're a chef or if you're a, you know, if you're a short order cook, you know, you're still, you know, you still have to be really good at what you do. And mm-hmm. I think that, I think that's a lot of what um, keeps people from going a little bit, you know, lackadaisical, should we say, yeah. you know, or a little, you know, if you want to, if you, you know, if you want to not go crazy with your job, tr- you know, 
try to always be learning in your job, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, even for me, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do, you know, but I'm always constantly, you know, I'm that guy that's like when I'm riding my bike and I'm going on, I'm back in some trail or something, I'm always trying to figure out, well, maybe what's around that next corner right there. You know, I, I go, okay, I should, I should turn around and head back. You know, it's going to get dark or whatever, but I'm always like, I'm that guy that's like, if I just go maybe another mile, I could just, I went up around that next bend and I'm kind of that way in, you know, in music. I mean, you can see, I can't really see my studio. I'm in my studio here, but you know, I got all this stuff in here and keyboards and little instruments and, you know, there you go. You can see that. Right. And you know, I'm always fitting with the piano. I got this weird thing called the Zen drum that I fool around with and it's like sampling, you know, Makes drum mm-hmm. sounds and and over back in there is my my drum kit and my percussion stuff back in there. But I'm always trying to learn something. There's always something that grabs my attention. Oh man, what if I tried that? And mm-hmm. I think that kind of falls true in anything that you do. I mean, if if you know if you if you fix cars for a living, you know, I, I have a good friend that's a mechanic, and and he, you know, he was. Um, working for Toyota for a long time. And, uh, and he got really into the whole, uh, you know, he started digging the whole hybrid electric thing and, you know, and he kind of talked like he's kind of this Southern draw, like, ah, I don't give a damn about those cars, but this electric thing is cool, man. You know? <laughs> so he started studying a little more about electric cars. And then next thing he knows, he's like the, he's, uh, kind of the, the, the big bossy, uh, the big boss, but, he's the guy that they wanted to do the hybrid work at, at his repair place. Next thing he knows, he tries to get a job with Tesla and, and he does. So he's moved down to uh down by Dallas and he's a, he works for Tesla now, but he was, you know, he's the guy you take your car into the Toyota place and he's back there in the garage fixing the engine. But he always had that little bit of an extra interest in, you know, technology and racing and, you know, and that kind of thing. And, Hey man, you know, I'm just spouting off, but no, no, you're fine. You're fine. That's great. That is, as my friend says here, that's great advice, you know? Oh, thank you. Yep. That is true. Cause you're right. We never stop learning. Like you mentioned buddy cast for a moment there that you're 100% right. Buddy cast wasn't just, Hey, let's go live stream one day. And you know, Oh, I'll just use this program or something. It's learning the ins and outs of this program to know where, okay, I have the confidence now that I have a dream. I have the program to do it. I have this. Like even the other day, my for my real job, I work for a news station. Mm. And they mentioned that they were going to do something with the weather team using this program. I immediately sent my boss an email saying, if you need someone to give a tutorial, I have used this at least 123 times for just this program alone. So by all means, I will. I know the ins and outs. Like I know yeah. like different screen settings, for example, you know, yeah. just anything the ticker on the bottom just yeah. anything so if you just need someone to just give these guys a quick lesson by all means i am yeah. so it yeah helps you, it helps you grow and it and it gives you a little bit of uh, uh of a reward in a way you know where yes. you, you go hey man i i spent a little time on that and look you know and i learned something and no one's probably going to go say it to you hey you've been really kicking ass and you know it's it's a personal thing you know it's a personal thing to to just know in your own heart that, that I'm 
trying to live my life the best I can, you know, and trying, because, you know, if I've learned anything, life is short, man. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, I, I'm not the kind of guy that likes to waste any time. Um, I'm always trying to, you know, there's just, for me, there's just too much to do in this world. Sometimes it's daunting, right? I, I find too many things to do and then I get, I can't spend enough time on one thing, right? I get too scatterbrained. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's part, I think that's part of also, I know a lot of musicians that are like that. We're a little bit ADD, if, if that's a word, ADHD yeah. or something, whatever. Yeah, you know, I get my hands in too many things, but I wouldn't trade that for, for you know, having the, uh, you know, the, the constantly, I'm constantly interested in something new or, uh doesn't matter what it is. I just, I'll, I, I notice things easily. So I'm like, Oh, well, I wonder if I did that or if I could go over there or, you know, can I fix that? Or, you know, could I make that? You know, it's like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. probably from growing up in Ohio, you know, or my old man's like, don't go buy a new one. You can fix that. You know, how many yeah. times have you heard that? <laughs> exactly. Let me just see if we can fix it or something. Then you take it to a shop and $500 later, you would have, it would have been less expensive just to get a new one or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But even even with cars, I call my car money bag the other day because the, here's a funny story for you. So the and the way home from work one night, my car all of a sudden the one windshield wiper just stopped working just out of the blue, <laughs> and it's snowing. So I'm trying to get you know I had enough room to see at least so I was safe. So I talked to my dad about I'm like I don't know what just happened but it just all of a sudden stopped working and he's thinking. You know what? It sounds like the motor, like the windshield motor just pooped out on you or something. Let's take it to a shop tomorrow and we'll take care of it. So we take it to a shop before work and they instantly called me back like 10 minutes later and saying, yeah, it's all good. We're ready for you. We're like, well, that was quick. So we go in there and we're expecting like this $500 new motor, da, 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 da. And like, so how much do we owe you? Nothing. It was on the house. Really? Yeah. You just had a loose bolt. Like you just had to lose nut. That's all it was. Exactly. And he, and he didn't charge you. Well, that's see, that's the kind of guy you go back to, right? Oh, 100 percent That is um, well, probably just because they only had to screw something, you know, just do something like this, you know. Yeah. So, you're right. Yeah. Some people would take advantage of that and say, okay, because <laughs> yeah. we had to replace the screw, which means new, you know, the new screw wouldn't meet the windshield wiper, so we had to replace the windshield wiper. Yeah. yeah. Is it butt ass cold there right now? Oh, yes. Oh yes, yeah. I have uh, a I have a joke of myself. I'm a little person, if you can tell. I have a form of dwarfism, so I, I love it when people are out there, like you know, trudging through the snow and just going like, "Oh, my ankles are cold right now." I just look at them and go, "Poor you." <laughs> so no, I, I I could I can't tell. I don't like that yeah. yeah. Yes. No. So I got a, another question for you. You mentioned like mountain biking and. Other activities, like you're always fixing something, you're always doing something. What are some activities that you've been doing during the pandemic to keep yourself occupied? Uh, let's think about that. Well, I mean, I do, I, I try to, I mean, I, I'm a big cyclist. I don't, I don't go super far anymore because I'm older, but um, I, I'm pretty much on my bike, either my mountain bike or my road bike every other day, as you can see. I, I or where is it? That's, I'm, the camera's <laughs> backwards. That's freaking me. I know. Yeah. I know, like I'm I have right now, and it looks like I'm using my left. Okay, that's right. Oh yeah, that's weird, dude. Yeah, uh, yeah I have a I have a Trek bike, and I, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But, um, 
let's see what else have I been doing? Well, I've been, I mean, for the last few days, uh, my wife and I have been working on this charity thing. So uh, I had to, you know, I had to take uh, Nancy Wilson from Heart, right? She sang an Elton John song. So um, I added some, you know, background vocals to that. So that's, that's more like, I'm doing a lot of studio kind of stuff. I added background vocals and Davey added his guitar and then we had to shoot video of it, which I'm not really used to doing that. Um, is that your dog or mine? Somebody That's mine. All right. uh, and uh, so, yes, I was in the studio, uh, you know, putting background vocals and some percussion on there. And then we did, we each do a video and then they're going to do a montage of it, of us playing together, um, doing that. And, doing some drum tracks for some other people. Um, I mean, outside of that, I just, uh, I, I have an old, uh, an old boxster. Um, so I'm always trying to keep that thing running. I, I don't really get in and do too much work on it lately because it's, it's hard to work on and, and that's not something you want to break or then it gets crazy expensive. But, uh, and I'm always fine. Like I have a room I need to put molding on the floor in, you know, that I've, that I've neglected for how many years. So, so buddy and I, we went out, I was helping my friend. Well, what have I been doing? I was helping my friend build this fence in his backyard. So I still get my hands dirty. Um, and we were using my electric saw to build his fence and and something happened where the wood kicked back in the saw and it shattered the, uh, it shattered the housing on the, on the saw blade. And thank God I had like glasses and I had a big jacket on because a piece of it hit me right in the throat. It's like, wow, I scared the shit out of me. So I was like, man, you know, so he went out and bought a new, very safe saw for us to finish the job. But I just get myself into dumb little projects like that, that I go, okay. Uh, I need to do that and get this finished. It's going to drive me crazy if I don't finish it. So, mm -hmm. you know, those kind of things are what I'm, you know, what I've been doing. And we mm -hmm. have a new, we have a one-year-old dog and he's been keeping us quite busy. Tell me all about it. You just heard these two rascals downstairs. We have a, I think she's about eight or nine years old, uh, yellow lab. So she's up there in age, you know, mm -hmm. she's slowing down and everything. But then we have a three-year-old red lab puppy. That's technically my sister's. And I put air quotations on that because mm -hmm. it spends 90% of its time at our house. And mm -hmm. she was the one that you were just hearing barking up a storm. Okay. So I do a little bit of stand-up comedy and she has contributed a lot to do that. You really? Nice. For, example, for um, example, you know, the dog is, is, it was back in the puppy years. The dog was very just hyperactive. There was one time where I was home from school, like in between classes. And the dog was running laps around the house. Also, they stopped by the front door, squatted down. And you as a new dog owner can testify. What does this mean? It's going to pee. You got, or, you got to take a dump. You've got a 10-second window to get yeah, that right. out of the house. So the next moment in my life becomes a slow-motion NFL replay. I jump from the couch, sprint towards the front door, scoop the puppy up at my left, step on the front door with my right, Jump off the front porch, tumble into the front yard for the touchdown. It was just whoo. And then the um, I always say the dog's like a slot machine. It swallows a quarter, and the bet wins ten grand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My dog ate some socks not long ago, and that was a that was a two a.m. trip to the yep to the vet. You know, 
but uh you know he's he's a puppy still he oh, yeah. this morning of course and uh it's a lot of work oh it is but it's one of the most rewarding jobs you know like it's one of the most like you want to you're mad because you just you lost like a favorite pair of socks or something but then at night the dog's just curled up right next to you and you're like i win jg for the world yeah yeah, that's what he that's what he does. He he's he's a he's a cuddler. He likes to get in yes. there and jump on top of you. And he he I was sitting on the sofa last night and he just he just kind of laid he's about 50 pounds. So he you know he laid on my arm and next thing I know, I'm like my arm is going to sleep. I'm going, you know, what are you doing, man? Get off of me. But yeah. you know, like you said, that's that's what they do, you know. Yep. And then they in that moment they'll look at you like, so you can move or what? Like you're like yeah, this, right. You're in my way. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, are you, so if you're in Erie, are you a football fan? I am. But wait, let me, are you a, you could, you could have a lot of choices. You could be Cleveland. Oh, Pittsburgh. Oh man. Uh, a Buffalo fan. You could be a Buffalo fan too, huh? Wow. I know where you're from. So I'm going to, you're going to hate my answer for this. Yeah. I take it. You're from Akron. I'm from Canton, but. Oh, Canton. Yeah. Near Akron. Yeah. So I'm assuming Akron or Akron and Canton are right there next to Cleveland. So I'm assuming I could be a thousand percent wrong. I could be a thousand percent wrong, but I'm assuming you like a team that has a name after a certain color. Yeah, exactly. You can yeah. say it. Wait, here's my you're, you're a Browns fan. Oh boy. Oh. <laughs> Ah, now are you an all-around Cleveland fan? Um, I don't. I'm not really. I was never really into the basketball team. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was, of course, I was. You know, how can you not be impressed with LeBron James? And he's yeah. local. You know, he's from Akron. So, um, uh, but uh, no, just mainly as a kid. You know, I went to all the Indians. I still go to Indians games when I go back there, and I've been to a couple of Browns games. Mm-hmm. Um, so you must be a Pittsburgh fan. Yep. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, hey, it's a great. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great rivalry. It is. It is it's a, really it's a great team. Uh huh. Yeah. And I'm in it because of relatives. I'm not just one of those guys. Well, we have six Super Bowls, or where the, I my great uncle got me into the team, and you know, took me to a training camp, took me to my first game. Mm-hmm was all that like even even on his deathbed he was watching the Steelers game. <laughs> yeah. So but you also people, most people die watching the Browns. That's why they're called the cardiac kids, you know? Yeah. I'll never forget there was that one game against Baltimore with you guys. It was like back in 2017 when like you or that season that you went winless. You almost had the game winner against Baltimore and then they blocked the field goal to run it in for the touchdown. I remember that right. And just what a smack. Oh, yeah. I remember a buddy of mine on Facebook said, let me put it to you this way. I go to the dealership to buy a new car. I buy the new car. I sign the paperwork. I get the keys in my hand. I am walking out to the car. I can see it right in front of me. There it is. It's shiny and glorious. All of a sudden, someone comes out of nowhere with a baseball bat and just pounds the you-know-what out of it. <laughs> That is the equivalent of that game. Was it? Where a ball drops out of the sky. Boom. Yeah, exactly. Like someone yeah. just drops like a crater or something, like a meteor just comes out of nowhere and just. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, so you mentioned earlier about a charity. 
I always ask my buddies if they could have our audience donate to one charity of your choice, what would it be and why? Um, well, we picked, you know, we got involved in this charity. Um, it's called Hillsides Home for Children. It's in Pasadena, California. Um, I don't know if I can send you the link. Yeah, uh, you know, just tell me the link right here and I'll type it in. Um, let me see the link. If I can send it in. This. Uh, and one of my, we, so, uh, as I'm looking, I will uh, mm. tell you it's, it's a, uh, it's a foster home, if you will, or foster school in Pasadena. And, and they're basically, it's a school for kids that have kind of been through the whole system where they've been in and out of foster care. A lot of them have, uh, mental health issues or, or trauma or, you know, they were born of uh, drug addicted parents. And, um, and so they're kids that are really not going to make it in the real school system, right? They mm -hmm. are, um, you know, they, they, they have a rough time of just getting through their regular day. So we decided to start helping this place raise money. And, um, and I mean, my wife does most of the work. I'm sort of like a, a mascot if you will you know um, yeah because you know i can i can i can kind of open a couple doors that other people can't open and and we can get you know we can maybe get some celebrities to to you know to put their foot in the door and help out like i just got john stamos to um Ooh. to do a virtual meet and greet for 30 minutes and um you know like nancy wilson of heart is going to uh to do it uh, you know i'm gonna it's probably easier that I just copy this link and send it to you. Um, mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I try to get people on the outside to help to get involved. And uh, wait one second. I'm just looking at your email here. Here comes the link. Mm -hmm. And, and my wife, she does most, she spends most of her time uh, figuring out ways to raise money. Um, let me know if you got that. Yeah, one second. My email's slow. I uh, can you also, there's also a private chat over here on the side that you can. Let's see if it'll paste in there. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, uh, go. so normally what happens is every year in February, we have a big fundraiser. And it's, you know, it's at a hotel and we, there's bands that play and I perform uh, with, I get up there and perform with somebody, sing a song or something. Um, and we just, you know, we try to raise money for the school for the, and, um, but this year it's all complicated. You can't do that. So we're going to have a virtual event and that event is uh, uh, like, uh, it's funny because our local weatherman, Fritz Coleman, um, who is also a, a stand-up comic. I don't know if you know who this guy is, Fritz Coleman. Hmm. He, um, you should check him out. He he was the local weatherman here for 20 years. You know, as long as I've watched the news, I've kind of uh, get to know him. And he's also a comic, which is which is great. And uh, so he's the, he's the MC. And we've had people like Dave Cause, the sax player, is going to be involved. Um, Davey Johnstone is going to play with us. Elton's going to make a little announcement. And um, mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's it. We are spending a lot of time to try to raise some money for this school. I just um, um, through the through a donation from these uh, friends of ours, the Zonshine Foundation, we 
uh, they donated a lot of money and I helped them build a, a recording studio at the school. So, so, you know, we put a new computer in there and, you know, microphones and got it all working. Um, and of course, just when I was going to go over there and, and work with some of the kids, the COVID thing hit. So I can't really go into the school and, you know, I'm sort of, they keep it really locked down. I'm sort of the outsider. Right. So, mm -hmm. but we'll, you know, we'll eventually, we'll eventually get there and go back yeah. over there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so that's the charity. So on February 27th at 5 30 PM Pacific time, uh, there's going to be, it's not going to be very long, like an hour, a one hour gala event, you know, if you will, virtual, a virtual event, a virtual gala. And, you know, the bottom line is they're going to, we're trying to raise money. So, you know, come there, check it out, donate some money if you like, you know, it doesn't matter what you donate, you know, I mean, people donate everything from $2 to $10,000. So, uh, um, it's, you know, it's, it's a nice cause because I've been over to the school and, um, you know, when you, when you see some kids that, uh, they just can't, you know, they don't, I don't want to say they don't fit in. They can't fit in, you know, they have, they've definitely have mental issues. A lot of these kids hurt themselves. Um, a lot of these kids are, you know, a little bit violent, um, because they have so much pent up anger, that they don't know any other way to release it. So um, they have to pretty much live um, on, they live at the school on a campus. There's a small campus that takes the really needy kids. And then they also have a school where, where kids from outside that are in foster care go there to go to school so, mm -hmm. because they're kind of considered special, special needs kids. That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, you know, we yeah. have, yeah. We have a monthly fundraiser that we do here called Buddy Aid, and um, this month we're helping a local theater, which is you know you know from firsthand that the theater industry, the entertainment industry, is just hurting. Yeah, so we're doing that next month. I was thinking of offering it for the Elton John AIDS Foundation, mm. and uh, but the following month I would love to look into that organization, see what we can do. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I'm I'm happy to send you. Any yeah. info that I can, and uh, yeah, yeah, we will we'll take anything. You know, all the guys. You know, well, a couple guys like Nigel. He tries to help out, and and mm -hmm. and Davy always. You know, Davy always comes to the event, and uh, uh, it's it's a nice thing. You know, it's it's always good to you know to help other people out that yes that need a little, and and you know it it sometimes it's a real pain and it's difficult, but it always you know, after you do it, you feel good about it. So 100%. It's all part of being a buddy, you know, being charitable, being just, mm -hmm. a, you know, be helping someone in need, mm -hmm. which brings me to my next question. In your own words, what does it mean to be someone's buddy? <laughs> well, it's, that's just like what we were saying. Um, when you're someone's buddy, it's like, uh, it's, 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 it's rewarding, you know, it's, it's, it's enriching. It's, it's, it's rewarding because you get, you, you always get something back. And, and even if you don't, and even if you don't get something back, you know, you can, um, I think when you're, when you're somebody's buddy and you're somebody's friend like that, it's, it's knowing that these people have your, you know, you have each other's back and yes. it's, it's kind of cliche, but uh, it's very true. You know, it's very true to know that um, 
that I, you know, that there's someone there that if that um, can help you out if you're in need, and vice versa, it goes the other way. Um, but in a, in a grander, I mean, there's obviously you can be someone's buddy in a grander thing, and that's what doing a little bit of charity work. You know, you don't have to be, you don't have to have a one-on-one relationship to go, um, you know, to go help out at, at your local church or a soup kitchen or something like that, or or find something. You know, I, I I argue with my political friends all the time that um, I mean, if you want to really get down to it, you can you can talk about how much power you have over uh, what a I don't I'm not going to go get into politics, but mm-hmm. how much power an an individual has over making decisions like uh, foreign policy, for example, like you know you can you can bitch and moan all you want about what's happening in Iran, you know, their nuclear policy and what our president's going to do about it. But you can't really do that much about it, except tell your local representative or your local congressman the way you feel. And then he has to go to Washington and he says he's going to vote based on his, you know, uh, his people that represent him, right. His voters. This what I'm saying is, I mean, most people, if you ask them, who is your local representative, they don't know. You know, most, I mean, I have to really think of me. My guy's name is Brad Sherman, right? Mm-hmm. No, because he's always sending flyers in the mail. But most people don't know who their local congressman is or their local representative. They might know who their state senator is or their governor. But I find that it's a little more rewarding to try to... Um, uh, I'll give you an example. I, I, just something really small and dumb. I got involved in uh, the local trail that I used to hike all the time. And for some reason, some people with a little bit too much power, a little bit too much money and nothing to do, decided they were going to close that trail because it was a little too close to their house. And so for the thousands and thousands of people that use this trail all the time, these this group of affluent people decided they were going to figure out a way to get that trail closed so we couldn't use it. So I heard about this through another friend on the trail. And next thing I know, I'm at these city town hall meetings, you know, with the, with the congressmen and the, and the city planners and stuff. And I got to see how the whole system works firsthand. And, and it was scary shit, you know, it was like, man, this is what we this is what these people go through to you know to pass bills and to make laws and to uh, to create policy. And I find that it's 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 rewarding, not only rewarding, it's just educating to get in there and see how it really worked to get to know can you you know, have some effect at a local level at your own level? Can you you know, if you want your voice to be heard, sometimes your voice has to be, you know, you got to make it heard in a smaller way than than just moaning and groaning about something. So keep going. I'm just grabbing something real quick to show you. Go ahead. Yeah, but keep going. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, we sit here and argue all the time about politics and you know, Trump this and Biden this and back and forth and and but sometimes I really you know people get so upset about it and so angry and I know. A lot of relationships have been lost in families and friends over politics in the last four years. And I think it's really sad because oh, it is. I've 
for the most part, you can't, you know, for the most part, you can, you can complain and scream at each other, but, but your views are not really going to get to that level. You're not going to go tell someone to not build a wall in Mexico because I mean, you can scream all you want about it, but is that going to make any kind of a, you know, are you going to change these, these policies? Well, they're not, you're not going to change the policy unless you let your local representative know how you feel. So when he goes to Washington, he can make his vote if it comes up. So it's a chain of command. And when I went to do this dumb little thing with the trail, I realized it's a massive chain of command. Even if you start on something small as that little thing, I went, wow, man, it's got to go from these people to these people to these people. And then it's got to be voted on. And it's like, it's complicated stuff. But you are exactly right, my friend. Right here, I'm holding what's called HR 497, or this might be HR 1003. Uh, nope, this is 497 because this was this was the first one. This was the pilot baby. So HR 497 is a document from Pennsylvania proclaiming October as Dwarfism Awareness Month. Really? Yes. So this actually started with a band story. So you've heard of the Zach Brown band before, obviously, right? Sure. Yeah. So the Zach Brown band in like September did this stunt with little people where they had a little person on stage fighting a, an average height person. Like it was basically like you versus me. And the scary part was it was in Fenway Park and you know concerts from, you know, you, you're no stranger to concerts. You know, there's a bunch of factors that can go in it. Like a really hyped up crowd, alcohol consumption. Like you've probably have had to dodge a fan here and there at times too, you know, because they maybe weren't thinking straighter. We're under the, you know, under the influence where you could just tell by looking, I'm like, okay, like time to go or something like that. Like get on that bus as soon as you can to get away from this guy. Yeah, there was actually a little person working that night at Fenway Park, and through an interview, he described that night as like a you know a walk from the stadium to his car was like one of the most terrorizing walks of his life because, and I've seen it firsthand too. Like I've had to cut through to get from A to B. I've had to cut through like um, what's it called, like a street party or something where mm. something like that. Like I remember there was one time I won tickets to a concert here in Erie. And we parked on this street and to go through it, we had to go through a block party. It was me and my little brother who's taller than me, of course. Mm-hmm. And right as we're walking through this block party, this woman comes staggering up to us and is like, Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, how small are you? Which ironically isn't the worst thing that I've been asked or been told, you know? And before I even get a chance to answer her, her friend comes up behind and goes, I don't think they like that question very much. And I'm just like, well, you friend tried. Oh, wow. Or, and it's even been more serious. Like there was one time I was, you know, I'm a personal, I do not like the word midget. I hate that word because it's been used against me so many times, so mm-hmm. harshly, including one time I was walking into church with my mother and I stepped aside to hold the door for her. And all of a sudden someone drove by and just yells out their window, Right in front of my mother, raised at a church. church. At a church. Yes. Like right there. Like there's there's no you know, there's no worse situation that could have been said at. I have a feeling they were on their way to hell. They were probably driving to hell. Probably. <laughs> probably. But you know what? I'm a very oh, motivated, very motivated person where I could look at it two ways. I can go in and 
you know, I don't know your religious beliefs or anything like that. Are you Christian by chance or? Uh, I, I was raised Catholic. Okay, good. You're Catholic. I'm a Catholic too. But yeah. you obviously, you know, you believe in God and all that, right? Like you're still, you yeah. know. So I went in, I'm a former missionary too. Mm. I went in and I said, you know, I get, I have two options here. I could go in and ask God, why me? Why, why are you, why did you pick on me today? Or why, why did I get that today? Why not the other guy who's, you know, not someone like, why not someone like John who's, you know, the, who's average high and nothing like, why didn't he just like say, I think somebody or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or I could go in and say, you know what, God, whatever caused that man pain, whatever caused that man to say that word to me, to say those words to me from my mother, whatever mm-hmm. is just on their heart that they're, you know, whether it was the way they were raised, whether it's they're not driving right, like they're under the consumption, whatever it is, please mm-hmm. heal them. Please just take away their pain. Just do something, whatever you can do. And that's what I did. Because mm-hmm. like in, um, right. you know, like you've seen, you've seen the movie Rocket Man, obviously, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, in the end scene when he's having all those, like, all those flashbacks, like he's in the, he's in the support group and all those people come from his past and he's, you know, like his mom and uh, his mom and dad are arguing, saying like, you know, who was the reason that he was so messed up as a kid or whatever. And he said, he looks at him and goes, both of you, stop. I'm not going to allow you to talk to me like this anymore. Then in comes Bernie telling them like, it's about time you said that. Or just having that stand. And then even like him standing up to his ex saying like, I know who I am. I'm Elton John. That's how I face these situations. Just saying, you know what? It's enough. Enough is enough. I've had, you know, people, no one's going to talk to me this way again. Here are my real buddies. Here are the people that I depend on. Yeah. And here's who I am. And that's what Elton did. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, sometimes people were, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. That's why that was my motivation behind HR497. I finally said, enough is enough. I'm going to do something. October is Dwarfism Awareness Month. And, you can ask anyone. You can ask my girlfriend who's probably watching this live stream right now. When I go into this month, it's not just a simple, hey, you know, I'll just post some things here and there and just, you know, mm-hmm. post the back of the figures and just get, and I dive into this. Like I take, this is my, this is my baby for the month. And I am going to show people what I mean during this. Mm-hmm. Like I've interviewed actors with dwarfism. I've used BuddyCast for it. I've, you know, I talk to local teachers. I post facts. Like I, tell even personal stories. Like I told the story online, like how I was walking in church one day and this gentleman said this, or, mm-hmm. you know, the amount of times that I've been like on campus back when I was in college and someone has driven by and said, you know, Effingham word, go back to Munchkin land. Mm-hmm. Basically in your kids, go follow the yellow brick road again or something, you know, mm-hmm. great song by the way, but <laughs> yeah, right. right. Yeah. But you know, just, um in that sense. But like I said, like you said, we can either just sit here and complain and just talk about how, Oh, poor us, poor or we can go out and do something. Good for you, man. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's fantastic to go out to actually, and you actually made it happen. Mm -hmm. I reached out to our state representative who told me to go talk to his chief of staff. And the chief of staff called me about a month later and said, we got it passed. It was unanimous. Wow. And even the next month, I have the other document sitting. Like, this is the actual document, by the way. This isn't just some copy they gave you. Like, mm-hmm. this is the actual baby. This the, is the state of Pennsylvania. Yes. Nice. Yes. So, October has officially been deemed Dwarfism Awareness Month here in PA. It's wow. an ongoing progress. As long as that representative is in office and even beyond, that's what I, we, like, it's. Hey, no, that's, and that's, 
that's a huge thing and and it's important to be to make people aware because people don't i mean it's it's important to to communicate you know that it's uh you know it's 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 easy to make you know fun of people basically. yes yes and but but a lot of people don't understand that until they you know until they get a little yeah, till till it happens to them, or or they get a little taste of it, or till it happens to someone that they love, and then, mm-hmm. you know, then it's like then it hits a little closer to home. You know, it's like when you, somebody says something about you know someone that you know or that's you know close to you that has some type of disease, dwarfism, a disease, an infliction, you know, something like that. Race, you know. Uh, uh, they say something and, and then you go, you know what, man, that's not cool. And I've told people, I have people that I, you know, mm-hmm. that have issues that are close to me. And, and, and I, I remember telling somebody one time, I go, Hey man, that ain't cool to say that, you know, yeah. and it wasn't a race thing, but it was, um, I go, you know, you know, it's just not, it's not a cool thing. Maybe, maybe it was funny when you were 12 years old, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not funny anymore. And oh, it's- it's, it's it's okay to speak up. It's you know it's good to speak up. That's that's the big problem with you know like what we were talking about before, right? Was you know it was it's really difficult now to have a nice dialogue with someone, you know, without somebody getting pissed off, you know, and exactly. And and I when I have political arguments with people and or discussions, they're supposed to be, mm-hmm. and, and they want to get pissed off. I just go okay, have nice yeah, yeah. I'm I'm yeah, have a nice day. And if, if that's the way you feel and you're that passionate about it, well, good for you. And, mm. uh, and, I, and I'll, all you can say is, I don't agree with you. Exactly. Now let's go get a beer, right? Exactly. And talk about the Browns. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be on, but then that'll lead to you and me in another argument, you know? But yeah. we'll, we'll find something. We'll talk about Elton John or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there's something you can agree on. Exactly. There's something you can agree on, and there's so much more in the world that's. And that's why I really strive to not let. Like, I'm glad you didn't go into like any political belief other than you saying, "Hey, I got this," you know, something like that. Because I don't. That's one reason I didn't allow politics on this show. Like, because it just it leads to that nasty road. You either one side, the other. There's some people that are neutral. There's some people that are like, "Hey, you know, I could swing towards this side, or I could swing towards that yeah. side." There, whenever I've seen too many close friends of mine. And too many family members, and I've never seen anything like this my entire life, become exactly. enemies. Exactly. Because it's not just a simple, like you said, you have your views, I have my views, let's go grab a beer. It's, I'm right, you're wrong, you're stupid because you're wrong, and I'm going to make you feel like that. Yeah. So, but yeah. not politics. Okay. Um, so one, another question I want to ask you is, let's get into, how about, a, do you have a good band story for us? Like a good you know, like behind the scenes, maybe audience, audience appropriate, of course, and everything, but just, yeah, well, our, our stories are always audience appropriate. You know, I, I don't know. If, you know, I mean, people ask me that all the time to tell them a great band story. Most of them, I can't really, mm-hmm. I can't really, I can't really tell mm-hmm. uh, because it usually, like involves, it usually yeah. involves somebody maybe having a little tantrum, um, uh-huh. you know, and that, you know, and those things do happen. I mean, uh, uh, you know, has, has anything, I mean, I won't see anything crazy, uh, has happened. There's always funny stuff that's happened. Like, you know, like Elton likes to play pranks on people and, uh, mm-hmm. 
Uh, How about a story about that? I am trying to think about something that's interesting. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm running into a blank here. I mean, I know, I know one time he, he, um, I met this guy in Ireland that was giving me a lesson on a, on the, the baron, you know, the drum, the frame drum you play like, you know, um, and, uh, and I, and I actually went to his hotel, um, to take a lesson from him. And when he was there, he, uh, um, he gave me one of these drums as a gift. I didn't know he was going to do this. So, um, when I got back to the hotel, um, before the show that night, Davey calls me and says, Hey man. And Davey's from Scotland. Right. Of course. And we we're in Ireland at the time. And, and uh, he, Davey calls me and says, I got something for you, man. I was out, you know, fooling around and he shows up at my door and he's got another one of these big, you know, they're a big round drum. Right. And I'm living in a suitcase. Right. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what the hell am I going to do? Uh, now I got two of these big, you know, giant things. What am I going to do with them? Right. And one's in a big black case. And, like, oh my God, man. I thank you. You know, this is great and everything. What am I gonna do? And so I go to the show that night and um and uh we're all talking and Elton comes in the dressing room and we're just sitting in there bullshitting and uh he um he says, Hey, what'd you do today? And I go, Oh, I was out, you know, you know, just uh, met this guy that I saw at a club last night and asked him to give me a, a lesson on how to play this drum and uh uh and he was like, what kind of a drum? And I go, I go, you know, like an Irish drum. What's an Irish drum? You know, you, come on, you're English. You know what an Irish drum is. It's a baron. It's a big round frame drum. You know, oh, I don't know what that, I've never, tell me more about it. And as he's egging me on, his assistant comes in and he's bought me yet another one. Like, even a bigger one, because he knows that I now had two of them because I told Davey, I was like, oh man, how the hell am I going to get this back to America? You know, I got to figure out a case to put it in. And so just as a joke, he goes out and buys a, even a big, great, big monstrous one. He goes, you mean like one of these here? This is for you, you know? So just now you're even more thinking, okay, how am I really going to get all this back to America? Like, yeah. it's going to be a nice story for customs or something, you know? Yeah, he just does nonsense like that. One time, he, uh, our, our one of our guys in the band used to wear these big like combat boots, you know, when in the winter time to walk around the streets. You know, these big old giant boots, and he'd wear them all the time. And every time, and and Elton would come in the dressing room before the show, and he'd always see these boots. He goes, "Who's who's who's fucking boots are those things?" You know. And, and uh, oh, those are Bob's, you know, and we'd all laugh and he'd just shake his head. So one day he, we used to have a big, we'd have a big bowl of berries on the table. And Elton, when Bob went into the bathroom, he took that bowl of berries and emptied it into Bob's boots. So when Bob came back at the end of the night to put his boots on, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm sure he was pretty happy about that. He was not very happy about it, so. It's the sarcasm. Yeah, yeah. So there's always some kind of prank like that, and there's always some kind of you know, uh, it's it, usually it has something to do with food. Now that I think about it, because one time we there was a whole. He likes to throw. You know, if you're not paying attention, he might you know bean you with an orange or something. You know, just just kind of out of just out of nowhere, or just pick up you know like a uh, you know a handful of peanuts and throw them at you. You know, or. Um, and and one time there was, I mean, we got it out of hand one time in the dressing room. We were really, 
you know, he threw like an apple at me and then I threw something at him and then something else went, a bowl of popcorn. Yeah. And then he, finally he grabbed, there was a whole chicken on a plate in, in the catering part. And he picked up the entire chicken and threw it across the room at me. That's a moment where you go, hit the deck. Oh my God. I mean, it was like, it was a full on food fight. It was really funny. Yeah. yeah. And it's too bad because, you know, it was only just us guys in the band and a couple of, you know, a couple of people that worked back in the dressing room that, that saw this go down. And then, and I'll tell you a funny story. I, another time we were throwing food around and I kicked a bag of, do you ever kick a bag of potato chips? Mm. It explodes. Oh if, yeah. If you kick a bag of potato chips that's sealed and this bag of potato chips, I don't know, man, we were just being complete idiots, you know, and, and someone threw the bag of potato chips at me and just natural reaction. I just kicked them, right. Kicked them sure. away while thinking the bag would fly away, but the bag just blew up and the entire room was covered in potato chips. And the place that ran the, uh, the venue, they tried to charge us like a thousand dollars to clean the room. <laughs> and so that yeah. just now well. Yeah, I, uh, I they were not happy with me for that one. I got you know a couple of people that you know had to talk the venue out of charging us the thousand dollars or whatever came mm -hmm. back and sort of read me the riot act a little bit. Like, yeah, stop cooking food. You know? Yeah, this is how they come. Would you like a personal autograph from Elton John? By chance? <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's, probably, that's probably how they did it. So. Yep. Cool, man. Yeah. So I got two more questions for you. Okay, cool. One is what we call the ultimate buddy cast buddy question. You ready for this? I'm ready. For anyone who wants to be a percussionist or a drummer, what's your advice? You've given some great advice nowadays, but what's your tie all your advice up and send it to them? Um, going a little bit back to what I said before. Um, well, you know, it's much easier now because there's so much great stuff on the internet. You know, when I was studying and learning. You know, I'll play old man here. We didn't have the internet to go look at. You know, you can go on YouTube now and see all these amazing players. And you can actually, some of them give lessons on the internet. So you can study from a guy that lives in New York City if you live in, you know, uh, you know, Poughkeepsie, wherever. So you have access to these people. I highly recommend always, you know, finding someone that you really admire or, or, or someone that's a great teacher and, and studying from them because you always, when you study from someone, when you get on a personal level of studying from someone, as opposed to, let's say, taking a class in a school, a one-on-one -on -one lesson, it always becomes something more than just that music lesson. You know, you always, there's always a life lesson learned or there, or you might learn a little bit more about the business as opposed to just learning your instrument, right? The technical, because there's a lot of people now, you know, you see these videos of the, the child that can play the guitar like Jimi Hendrix. But, you know, it turns out that that child can only play that one song and plays that one song 24 hours a day, you know, until they become this monster at playing that one song. And, I guess what I'm getting at is you have to, you know, you have to be more well-rounded and actually, you know, learn the, learn the instrument or learn, you know, learn to play the drums. I mean, 
there's plenty of teachers out there, right? And and don't just learn how to play one style of music because if you're going to wind up getting, you know, the natural progression is that you probably get in a band and you and you play whatever kind of music that the guys in the band want to play and they could play anything from a polka to a, you know, to rock and roll to jazz. And that's why I say it's great to learn all these different styles because by learning the different styles, you don't just get good at learning the different styles, but they all relate to, you know, they all, they all relate to one thing in one way or another. Um, I mean, so that's kind of some advice just, just to study, find someone that you really admire that's teaching in your area and if you can't find someone that's teaching, especially now during COVID, if you can't find someone that's teaching in your area, really dig into the internet and find some, you know, find internet lessons or find, um, you know, lessons on Zoom, right? Mm-hmm. Now, to wrap up the show, I know you you look like you're in your studio right now. Do you I'm think you can give us a small demonstration or some work, some of your work by chance? Would that be possible? Let's see. I can. I'll play some Udu for you. Hang on. All right. The screen is yours. I only play the Udu because I like the Udu. Let <laughs> me till he comes back. If you're wondering what an Irish frame drum is, that's wait. There's. Wow. That's an Irish frame drum. Hmm. Hmm. And basically, I don't have the mallet, but in Irish frame drum, you hold it like this. That's your Irish frame drum. This is an Udu, which is really an interesting thing. An Udu is just a clay pot, you know. It's an African instrument, just a clay pot with these holes in it, but these holes. Excellent job. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for stopping here on BuddyCast. Thank you. You are an official buddy on BuddyCast. We don't call you guests. We call you buddies. Thanks so for having me. Official buddy. Yes, 100%. For all my buddies out there, this is my new buddy, John Mahon. Thank you again. Give my warmest to Elton and the rest of the band. I'll do that. And thank for everyone out there. And I got one more favor to ask you. Yeah. Go be someone's buddy today. I'll do that. Absolutely. All right, stick around for a minute. We'll chat for a second. All right. right. Thank you. Yep. We'll catch you all next time here on BuddyCast. Well, the days are going fast. Buddy, buddy, we've got to make them last. Buddy, buddy, before they've all gone fast.
Somebody can 